Okay, so we live in a world that is really dominated by money. And perhaps it's always been this way, but our relationship with money just to me seems to be more and more complicated nowadays. We don't just need money for the basics of food and clothing and shelter. I was in India once and uh, told uh, someone there that we have to pay for our water in Australia and he was absolutely shocked. We have to, water is life, why should you have to pay for it? When mobile phones were becoming popular, and I'm talking before smartphones, this was just dumb phones, uh, they were just becoming, beginning to become an everyday item, if anyone remembers a day before mobile phones. We were organising a loan and the mortgage broker's asking for our numbers. What's your mobile? We don't have one. He's like, what? You don't have a mobile phone? Now, I don't know if I could survive without a mobile phone. And of course, it's becoming increasingly difficult to live without the internet, which requires a device. We could add to that list, but when you're counting every cent, uh, it can all become uh, a little bit difficult. And so it's into this environment that Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And we might say, well, that's all right for you, Jesus. You could turn, multiply bread and fish. I can barely add up my expenses we're starting a short series on, on your money, and today we're going to look at how Jesus said we can master it. Um, and so that is, what are the attitudes that we bring to money to make sure that we control our money and our money doesn't control us? And so Jesus starts in uh, verse 19, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. When you and I start to think about money, or maybe it's just me, because you're probably more spiritual than me, I think of things like Proverbs 27:23, which says, Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. Proverbs is full of practical wisdom about managing your money, and we're going to look at that next week. In many places in the Bible, uh, the Bible does urge us to be prudent with our money. Even Jesus said to use mammon to, uh, for kingdom ends, to make friends for the kingdom. But Jesus today in this reading doesn't begin with the wise stewardship of money when we're talking about mastering it. He begins with our affections, our attitudes. He says, store up treasure in heaven rather than on earth. Earthly treasures can and do blow away like dust in the wind. I used to be a funeral director and you get to some religions, including some Christian uh, religions, and you should see what goes into the cough, coffin. They obviously haven't heard the saying, you can't take it with you when you go. <laughs> Why is this important? Because treasure isn't just what you own it's what's important to you it's actually what owns you and sometimes that can be something small maybe it's something 
of sentimental value. Have you ever been sort of brokenhearted when a valuable or uh, was at least valuable to you, vase or cup or something small like that, uh, got broken? Maybe it's the things that give us security. I'm avoiding looking at my wife when I say that, by the way, because I've broken more than one of her cups. <laughs> Might be something that gives us security, an investment property or a retirement fund. Or it could be something that gives us identity, like uh, a car or a membership to a club or, or something like that. Whatever our, uh, our treasure is, is something that commands our attention and our affections. And so that's why Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart follows. And this is why Jesus says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. So what's the remedy? Jesus says, store up treasure in heaven. Invest in things of eternal worth. Invest in things that will make you more eager to be in heaven than on earth. Make a choice to say yes to the things of the kingdom of God and no to the things of this world. Even that sometimes means good things. And that then radically changes my relationship with money and possessions and it, my whole identity, my time, my relationships, um, and perhaps even more so my time and relationships and money in some ways. So how do we do this? How do we invest in or store up treasure in heaven? Well, you're actually doing it now by choosing to be here in church this morning or if you're listening to the podcast you do it when you spend time with God. You've said no to some earthly task or pastime so that you can say yes to something that's more valuable to the eternal one. You do it when you take time off work to engage in ministry or mission or when you donate or you tithe to church or donate to missions. You're saying no to building up wealth or investing in the things of earth and you're investing in the things of the kingdom. You're building wealth in heaven. And hopefully it's moving your heart there as well. Because this is really the issue. It's where our heart is. As we invest in eternal things. So we had the um, Rose talking about Sumba. And don't know if you picked up her heart there. Where's her heart? A little bit in Sumba. But it's not just in Sumba. It's in the kingdom being manifested in Sumba. And we become less concerned for the things of the world. So where is your treasure? Where's your heart? And here's the question, how am I going to invest in heavenly treasure so that my heart will follow? Jesus goes on to talk about what we give our attention to. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? The eye is the lamp of the body. Think about that for a moment because it's actually kind of a strange saying. The eye is not a lamp. The eye does not emit light. It's a photoreceptor. It receives light. 
But actually, in the ancient world, there was a very common belief that the eye did emit light, that the way we see is the, light emi uh, the, the eye emitting light. And, well, what about day and night? They believed that somehow are interacted with the light of the sun. So darkness and, and light were sort of solved that way. And so Jesus might be tapping into this common belief, but the saying works either way, really, uh, whether you have an ancient or modern understanding of optics. And the point, of course, is be careful, little eyes, what you see. Or be careful what you give your attention to. Because it's easy, and I find this all too easily, to be consumed by the wrong things. And I have to confess that uh, I get caught up in a little bit of doom scrolling on social media. I don't know about you. Um, and when I give in to that, I find that my whole body does start to become full of darkness can can send me to not a good place and I see that happening to other people on social media as well because what we consume will eventually come out social media is actually a pretty good gauge for what people are focusing on so it's in this context when we focus on the concerns of the world including our finances that the lights can start to go out, the light of our eyes. Our whole body becomes darkness. And again, this isn't to ignore finances. Jesus isn't saying uh, that, but he's saying, don't become obsessed about them. That brings darkness. Instead, give your attention to what brings light. I guess in the context of believing that your eye is the lamp of the body it's what we're meditating on what we're focusing on is going to change the way we see the world on the other hand if you take a modern view what we give our attention to is going to change our disposition take your pick be careful what you look at be careful what you're thinking about it's going to change the way you interact with the world jesus says give your attention to the things of the kingdom and that's not to say that we have to naively pretend everything's okay when it's not. Some people are inveterate optimists and it can drive you nuts. But we've been singing about faith this morning. It's trusting God, a higher reality in the midst of the trouble we may find ourselves in. It's not about denial. It's about focus. And it's another form of investment, an investment of our time and attention. And so just think for you, what are you giving your attention to? Does it bring light or darkness to your life? Does it bring life or death? The kingdom of God or the kingdom of this world? So then in verse 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Verse 24 is about our allegiance. It's about who and what is Lord of our lives. We like to have it both ways a little bit, I think. We, I like money. I, I've just got to confess. You can do a lot of good things with money. You can do a lot of bad things with money. But Jesus says you, you have to make a choice. What's going to be Lord of your life? You can't pursue both God and pursue money. And Jesus doesn't even word this as an ultimatum. 
It's not like wagging the finger. It's like this is just a reality. So uh, we're a little bit like fairies. J.M. Uh, Barry, who wrote Peter Pan, explains it like this. Tink was not all bad. Or rather, she was not all bad just now. But on the other hand, sometimes she was all good. Fairies have to be one thing or the other because being so small, they unfortunately have room for one feeling only at a time. They are, however, allowed to change, only it must be a complete change. Both God and money demand absolute allegiance and we only have the capacity to give our absolute allegiance to one thing, to one Lord. So Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple, had a great saying that guides Apple's uh, laser focus on design, whether you like them or not. He said, every no means a yes and every yes means a no. When you're saying yes to something, you're saying no to something else because we only have a limited capacity to do, to spend, to think, to whatever. So when we truly say yes to God, to the Lordship of Jesus, we have to say no to the Lordship of money and vice versa. And so it's a matter of whether my finances serve God or whether I think I can make God serve my finances. And uh, you know how that's going to end. So what does the Lordship of Christ over my finances look like? Well, it can be quite radical. For some people, it can mean taking a lower-paid job because you feel God calling you to something that you can't quite reconcile with uh, the values of the kingdom or you can't reconcile the demands of, of that job. It may mean taking a high-paid job so that you can adequately care for your family or fund kingdom ministry. It may mean reducing to one income if you're a two-income family, so that you can adequately look after kids or an elderly parent or, or be released for ministry. It may mean the ultimate sacrifice, giving up coffee so you can help someone buy groceries. I didn't get any laughs then. I'm going to have to work on it. I don't, I don't know because, you know, what's right for you may be wrong for me. What's right for me may be wrong for you. When Jesus is Lord, we're guided by the Spirit. And that's the point. Our decisions are guided by the values of the kingdom and our obedience to God rather than financial demands. The point is, who do you worship? Who is Lord of your life? And what does your bank account, or your calendar and so on tell you about that? So then uh, we come to verses 25 to 32. I'm not going to read all of that again. Jesus ends it in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. So I think a really big part of what drives our financial decisions very often comes down to a, it's actually a very natural and very reasonable desire for security. then I think that's why Jesus tells us to consider the flowers of the field and the birds of the sky. Because on the one hand, Jesus is saying, you know, your heavenly Father provides for these things. He 
look at the beauty he's put into creation, look at the way he just provides for these, these uh, animals and so on, even the smallest. And he's like, well, worrying about life is pointless. Worry doesn't solve anything. If anything, worry makes things worse. It darkens our eyes to go back to the lamp imagery because we give ourselves to concerns, to things we have no control over ultimately. But ignoring the problem uh, and not worrying or not having anything else to do with the worry, just sort of, well, don't worry, be happy. It's like, well, I've still got to pay the rent. I've still got to do these other things. That doesn't solve anything either then. Just sweeps the issue under the carpet and eventually erupts in all kinds of other problems. So what do we do? Well, Jesus says, rather than trying to simply not worry, change your focus from the problem to the one who has our problems in hand. Put your focus on God. God knows our needs, and as much as he cares for the natural world, he cares for you and me infinitely more. It's a big, big challenge for us, I think. I wonder if it was maybe a little easier for Jesus listeners because jesus preached this sermon on the side of a mountain we're inside a building a modern building with electric lights and amplification and uh, we've been trying to get on to that figure out what's wrong with the projector they were out in nature when jesus preached this probably birds flying by jesus is pointing out flowers to them as he preaches it on the other hand they lived hand to mouth a lot of these people um survival would have been a constant source of anxiety and concern for them and so it's important for us to understand as jesus says these words he's not just saying them to the rich most of us here don't have to worry about where our next meal's coming from or or where we're going to live even if things are very tight for some of you i know but Concern for money isn't just something the rich have to worry about. It's something the poor have to think about as well because the concerns of life and potentially the love of money is actually universal. It's not class-based. Just because you don't have money doesn't mean you don't want it. Just because you have money doesn't mean you don't want more. So that's on the one hand. On the other hand, many of them lived off the land. And so for Jesus to talk about God's providence in nature would have been very natural for them. They, they understood the, rhythm, the rhythms uh, of the seasons and so on. And, and maybe this uh, resonated with them more loudly than it does for us. But, you know, regardless of, of whether they were closer to this or, or further away, it still required faith. It's still about trusting God. And for us... It requires faith as well. It requires a trust in God that he sees and he cares about my everyday needs and that he is willing and able to do something about it. Not just that he can, but that he will, that he loves me, that I am his child, that he is concerned and he will act. Now, God's provision isn't just to release me from worry. Jesus says, don't worry. You don't need to worry. But he also says, seek first the kingdom. And he, 
he provides for us to pursue his kingdom. And it's in the context of pursuing the kingdom that provision comes. What does that look like? Well, for some, it has meant giving up well-paid jobs to go into ministry or missions, trusting God to provide. But it doesn't only mean that, and it probably doesn't usually mean that. Sometimes it might mean taking some leave so we can attend a conference or volunteer uh, in a ministry for a day or two. You know, the first time I met Christians doing this, taking time off to go to a conference for their spiritual growth or for ministry training in the church, it blew my mind. You are actually spending your holidays on investing in the kingdom. I'm like, I always had this attitude, if it's midweek, I can't do it. For some people, it's meant obeying a sense of call. And I will say, you do have to have a faith for this. You do have to have a sense of call for it. But a, a call to give away more money than they can afford to feed the poor or to invest in missions or something like that, believing that God is going to provide. Some people do that, and they see God's miraculous provision. For some, it's just simply trusting God enough to tithe regularly. The question for us is, what does it mean for you and for me now? What's God saying to you about not worrying about your everyday needs, but seeking first his kingdom? I had a friend in India who, poor Dalit, and you know, said we don't always eat. When we don't eat, we just pray and fast and <laughs> seek God. Next week, we'll be looking at some biblical principles for managing our money. We'll look at Proverbs. But before we can effectively manage our money with kingdom principles, we need to master our money. And Jesus says it's not a matter of how hard you work or how organized you are, both of which are really important. It's not a matter of how much you earn, which can be really helpful, let's face it. But mastering your money is primarily spiritual. It's about cultivating an affection for the things of heaven rather than the things of earth. It's about giving our attention to what gives life rather than steals it. It's about trusting God enough to get our priorities straight. And it's about making Jesus, not money, Lord of our lives. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you will speak to each of us individually. Maybe there are some sitting here this morning feeling very challenged about this. I know whenever we come up to money, Father, you challenge me. Am I using money the right way or am I letting money use me? And for those of us in that position, I pray that you will help us to do simple things, to invest into your kingdom, to become free of that. And Father, I know there are some here at the opposite end and worrying about their finances because they don't seem to have enough. Father, I pray that they will trust you. They will steward their finances and their time regardless. And Father, look to you in that and cry out to you. And Father, I pray that in this church we will see miracles of finance. We will see all of us who struggle with this, whether we're wealthy or poor, released from the love of money. Father, I pray that we will see miracles of provision. 
and father liked the funding of Sumba uh, there that helping purchase that land father that you will enable us to release money for your kingdom and that when we stand before your throne on that final day there will be a great rejoicing because of the obedience of many lives to you in this matter in Jesus name Amen.